pray that God would send somebody else to uh, back, back up our witness or whatever that is, what he was uh, exactly the point he was making. Pray that we would be that person if needed be. You know, sometimes the Lord impresses on our heart to talk to someone, and we have no idea all the background work that's been done in their life. God knows, and that might be why he's encouraging us to talk to them. So let us be faithful uh, to do that. And uh, thought, I just had that thought while he was talking. Uh, Philippians chapter 4. We're finally getting to the meat of why, one of the reasons Paul's writing this letter. He's finally going to get to the point tonight where he's going to deal with uh, an issue that uh, was, I believe, one of the reasons that prompted the writing of this letter to the Philippians. Uh, he has already just kind of touched on it, skirted around the edge uh, of it a little bit as he's uh, introducing his letters and went through some things here. But now he's going to uh, actually name names. And uh, that's what the uh, title of our message is tonight, Paul Names Names. There's probably not a word in the English language that is more used and less understood than the word love. We throw it around. It's in movies. It's in uh, books, it's in uh, articles, it's uh, used in, in a lot of different ways. And of course, we love lots of things. We love everything from our possessions to our music, to our sports, uh, to our careers, to our mamas. We love, every, we love a lot of things in our life. And we say that yet most people, I would say, in the world today would really not have an idea of what love really is, what real love is, what God's kind of love is. The Greek language has three words for love. Now, I know we just went over this on Sunday night. We touched on it. I'm going to do it again tonight as, uh, just to touch on it again in case anybody missed that. But the, the three words in the Greek language, and all, all of them except one, are used in the Bible. Now, the first is eros, and that's uh, the word we get our word erotic from. And you can imagine what kind of love that is. It's an egotistical, a selfish kind of love, <coughs> one that is driven by... Uh, even sexual desires or selfish desires. Uh, that's where we get uh, the word erotic from. The second word is phileo. That is a, a mutualistic or a brotherly love. Uh, this is where we get the word Philadelphia from, which is the city of brotherly love. That's the kind of love that phileo represents. Phileo is a natural response. Uh, it is someone... Have you ever... Maybe dealt whether it be a salesperson or maybe somebody at a checkout lane or something, and you are a waitress or somebody like that. And just they're so nice, and you say, I really like that person, they're just really sweet person. That's phileo. You don't know them, you don't really have any background, you haven't had any uh, life experience to develop any deep affection for them, but there's a natural liking to that. That's phileo. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. Uh, we just want to go deeper in our Christian life for it. The third kind is agape. That's the unselfish love, one that gives expecting nothing in return. Whenever the Bible talks about God loving us, that's the word that he is used in the original is the word agape. Uh, it's the kind of love that is is given to others expecting nothing from them in return. Jeremiah 31.3, the Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. One of the most amazing facts about God is that he loves people who will never love him back. Now, hopefully we do, and we ought to love the Lord, but many people don't love the Lord. Many people, There's people in the world today that don't acknowledge his existence. Uh, they they don't they they claim that there is no God and yet God loves them. 
God loves them enough to let them live and gives them mercy sometimes to live a long life, giving them much opportunity to change their ways and to come to Him. I always, I, I hear once in a while, whether it's on a video or, or somebody, sometimes will email me something and, and an atheist will be spewing or somebody that hates God. I read just excerpts of that uh, Richard Hawkins, I think, maybe book uh, on um, the, the God delusion and uh, horrible things that are said about God and what make him out to be some kind of monster. And I always think, you know, I, if I was hearing that, I think I would want to maybe step away just a little bit in case the lightning bolt comes down. I don't get zapped. And yet God allows them to live and God allows them to have health and God allows them to continue to go on. Why? Because that's his mercy. That's his grace, allowing them to have more time. God loves those who will never love him back. That's agape love. Now, that's really difficult for us to do. It's hard for us to love someone that doesn't love us back. That's uh, it's why it's hard raising teenagers. I'm just kidding. Not, not, not always. One of the most amazing facts about God, though, is that very thing there. Today, Paul is going to deal with a problem, and it all comes down to a lack of love And uh, in the Philippian church. Let's read a couple verses here. Uh, starting verse number one, chapter four, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Odious and, and beseech uh, Syntyche that they may be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help these women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord alway. And again, I say you rejoice. Verse 5, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Father, I pray tonight in these few minutes we have together that you would give us a, a, uh, the right spirit as we approach this text. Lord, may we learn something. May we apply something that will help us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. He gives here some thoughts about the Philippians. He starts out with telling them how dear they were to him. He says, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. He is a, he's about to address a problem in the church at Philippi, but he wanted to first assure them what they meant to him. Now, this is a good tactic. Whenever you're dealing with problems, you, you start out with something positive, right? And you may be dealing with a child, or if you're having a conversation with somebody and you have to uh, talk about something unpleasant, this is a tactic that I often use, and maybe you do too. We start, hey, look, I appreciate you here, here, and here. There's some areas you've got to work to here, and we'll get to that. But he starts out positive here. Somebody said one time years ago, <clears throat> for every negative you give someone, you ought to say 18 positive things. And I don't know if that's uh, true, but I'm sure it would help. But first, he wanted to know what they meant to him. They were his dearly beloved. He didn't just like them. He loved them. And he didn't just love them. He dearly loved them. They were very special to him. They were his, he calls them his joy and his crown. They, there was a special relationship there. Uh, this, this idea, the fact that Paul's in prison and the despair that would come with that, it would just lift his spirits. It would make him feel better about uh, when he thought about how they were doing and he thought on them. Uh, his tri uh, trials would diminish and his joy would grow. But even while he's reflecting on their relationship, he, he, uh, gives them a little bit of a warning. Stand fast, he says. Now, he, he remembers the reason that, or the negative that Epaphroditus probably told him about, and that prompted him the writing of this letter and what he's going to deal with here. 
Uh, he remembers the negative part. He's about to deal with it. He reminds them here that the enemies of Christ are always going to be stalking them and specifically their church. Satan is always on the attack against churches, always. And it doesn't end. Now, I, I know many of you have been in church for many years, maybe your whole life, uh, and, and uh, some, some for decades been in churches, and you know what I'm saying is true. Trouble doesn't leave. I mean, it changes faces, and it, it uh, goes in different phases, and we have seasons where everything's great, and we hope it'll always stay that way, but it just doesn't. There, there's there's going to be trouble because Satan is on the attack uh, against God's church. The Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That doesn't mean they won't attack. It just means they won't prevail. And so Paul is telling them here, stand fast. If we give an inch to Satan, he's going to take a yard and so on and so forth. A little conflict, and he tries to always escalate it into a big war. That's why he introduces selfishness and suspicion and superiority and all those things into every struggle that might be very minor in its beginnings. So Paul's appeal for them here and for us, I believe as well, stand fast in the Lord. This is uh, just a reminder of how dear they are. And then he touches on how divided they were. Look at what he says. I beseech Odius and beseech Syntyche that they may be of the same mind in the Lord. One of the most, one of the most vital things in local churches as we serve together is unity. I mean, the Bible talks about it all throughout the New Testament. Psalm 133.1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Uh, God has made each one of us different. He's given each one of us different talents and different personalities. Uh, but he commands us to labor together uh, in the harvest. Now, too often... The harvest is lost or affected because the laborers are fighting amongst themselves. And many churches, that can be the case. It's certainly not our desire here, amen? We don't want the, the, uh, the harvest to be affected because laborers would be bickering. And so that's what Paul's saying here. Uh, be in the same mind in the Lord. Uh, we don't want to ever be caught up in, in conflict about who gets more credit or, or uh, who does what job and all that. We want to be in unity as we do that. Now, the local church is God's vehicle to accomplish his work on the earth today. I believe that 100%. Now, there are some people, well, you know, God uses people, and you don't have to go to church. You don't have to be a part of a church. I've heard people tell me how they're so much closer to God out on the boat on Sunday morning than they are at a church pew and if they're hiking or whatever the case might be. But you study your New Testament. God's local church is his vehicle of working his work on the earth today. It's a vital part of our lives, and it should continue to be. Now, when there's strife within the body of believers, the wheels come off of that vehicle. It's not uh, as effective as it was before. The vehicle is powered, you could say, by the Spirit of God, and it's immobilized on the side of the road when the, uh, when the, the laborers are having problems amongst themselves. So in our text here, Paul warns us of the potential disaster of disharmony in the church, and that's what he's talking to them about. He exposes a disagreement between these two sisters in the church. Paul had gotten the report uh, from Epaphroditus. Probably Paul did not need the details of 
everything that was going on. Uh, he wouldn't have to have the details because the pattern is all too familiar. There is an issue between two people. Usually it's something very insignificant at first, and uh, it will grow. It grows as each one talk to their friends about the other and uh, reaffirm their own conviction about their feelings about each other. Soon the two are not on speaking terms. Their spouses are drawn into the dispute. Friends are recruited and also uh, forced to take sides. And typically, this is not anything to do with doctrinal differences. It's usually personality differences, procedural differences that fuel this fire. And, and I'm just giving you, uh, you know, we don't know exactly what the issue was here between uh, Syntyche and, and uh, Odious, but uh, Paul doesn't really have to go into that because the 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 details really aren't that important. The problem is that there was a problem. So uh, if it's not stopped, then the whole church will soon, or it's possible for the whole church to be at odds. By the way, this is one of the important jobs of the pastor is to protect the flock from this kind of garbage. We need to uh, be vigilant on this. And by the way, not only my job, but everybody really in the church, we need to uh, squash that kind of thing when we see that rising its ugly head. Now the testimony of the church suffers because the community, including unsaved people, will view this trouble from the outside. The ministry of the church ceases because if people can't agree on anything, then it, it kind of just shuts down uh, the ministry of what the church has been involved in. Everything within the church now can become a football of church politics being kicked back and forth, all dwelling on this church problem. The spiritual members of the church the, uh, often try to uh, sometimes step in and bring some sanity into the mix, but often that also fails because so often personal feelings trump good judgment. Now, we've seen this kind of thing. I mean, if, if you've been in church for any kind of time, you, you've seen this kind of stuff take place. And it's unfortunate, but uh, I, I, I believe probably as long as uh, the church is comprised of people, we'll probably continue to have problems like this because that's how we are. I mean, we're just, we're imperfect and we're sinful and we're selfish and we are prideful and all those things. And uh, so the, these things come about. Now, Paul did what we'd be considered very extreme, uh, but it also emphasizes the importance of what he's dealing with. Now, I can tell you, I have never, nor have I ever been a church, involved in a church where the pastor has done what Paul does here. Uh, but sometimes the only way to deal with these problems is to force people to face the personal responsibility of what they have done. So Paul did not skirt around the issue. He did not give vague hints. He directly confronted the parties that are involved. He names them. After 82 verses into his letter, he nails it down. Imagine the reaction in Philippi. The church had welcomed Epaphroditus back home. It was an exciting time. Uh, they had a carry-in dinner because that's what churches do, amen? So they had a, or an ice cream supper. They had something. They had people in, and uh, they, they had a party for him. Uh, he had called a meeting uh, for the reading of Paul's letter. 
This was before email, before Facebook, before Messenger, before the telephone, before carrier pigeons, before everything. You had you got letters. That's what they had. There was a sole meaning, and you couldn't mail them either. Somebody had to bring it. And so here he is with news from Paul. It would be a huge deal. Paul was their spiritual father. He had led the leaders of the church to Christ. He had really started that work, and so they were excited about that. Everyone was there. The place is packed. Epaphroditus or somebody that had some kind of leadership in the church. We don't know for sure if it was him, but somebody would have broken the seal on the letter to let everybody know that this is exactly, that hasn't been messed with, this is what Paul has to say, and then he would begin to read. As he read, as we have read and worked through this book, we've seen that there were some hints that Paul was aware that there's trouble. I wonder if Odious and Syntyche, were beginning to get uneasy as the letter was being read. Maybe they felt eyes in the back of their head, wondering if people were looking on them. And then suddenly the hammer fell. The two ladies heard their names. I beseech Odious and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Now how would they feel then? Now everybody, every eye is on them. This is where you wish the ground would open up and swallow you up, embarrassment. Uh, no doubt the atmosphere in the meeting was changed when this part of the letter was read than from the rest of the letter before. Uh, this is an awkward time, all right? You just, everybody, usually it's the, typically the case is people are aware. Maybe not everybody is aware. People are aware there's a problem, but now it's been brought to light. Paul, Paul attacks it openly. Now, I imagine the spirit of Paul's writing, I imagine, especially if Epaphroditus read the letter, would come across in the reading. <clears throat> this is not a thundering threat attached to a punishment. This is a plea, and I believe that's how Paul wrote it. It's a gentle appeal. In the name of the Lord, he said. This is who Paul's been exalting the whole letter. And, and all that, it's all about the Lord, and in the name of that Lord, be of the same mind. Now, mercifully, the, the, uh, the, whatever you say, the reference or the rebuke to Odious and Syntyche was brief. He quickly changed the subject. But there are some things that we need to be aware of, even in our churches today. We need to be aware of an undermining spirit. There's something about our human nature that tends to be critical to other people. I, he was just talking about it a few minutes ago. Nobody had any problem recognizing the bad grades, but when the good ones happen, he's all alone on an island. You know, that's Haven't we all experienced that? It's easy to be critical. It's easy for me to be critical. It's easier, to be, easier for people to be critical of me. It's easier for you to be critical. It's natural. We are, it, one reason is because I've got it so together, it's easy for me to be critical of people who don't. That's kind of, now we wouldn't say that, but that's kind of the pride behind criticism. We think that we've got that part of our life together, so let me share with you and criticize you. Uh, someone said this, gossip is never about ideas. You ever notice that? Uh, I read this as well. Great minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss events. Small minds discuss people. And that's what gossip is going to be about, not about uh, events or, 
or uh, ideas, it's going to be about people. Uh, Beecher said, keep a fair-sized cemetery in your backyard in which to bury the faults of your friends. Hey, could we do that? Just bury the faults of our friends instead of magnifying them? What, what would happen if as a church family, I'm not talking about covering up sin, I'm not talking about that, but just faults and, and differences, just burying them and moving on. Wouldn't that be great? That'd be a great way to, and by the way, that's how we are with our friends. I mean, those that, those that we are good friends, we, they have faults and we just overlook them. That's how we do with our mate. We better, or we're going to be miserable. We better do that. Uh, we overlook their faults and, and uh, hopefully they overlook ours. And, uh, and then that's how we, how we get along. But the hardest thing to take, listen to this now, and the easiest thing to give is the same thing, criticism. It's the easiest thing in the world to give. It's a really hard thing to take. By the way, I've got a list if you're ever interested. Um, maybe I should have printed it off, but I have a list of like 50 things, uh, positive things about criticism. I read that regularly because uh, when you get criticized, you, you, it can be a good thing. It can be a positive thing. You can turn it into a positive thing for you because, by the way, whenever, whenever there's a... Uh, an attack or a criticism, we should always be introspective. We should always be, uh, not, not just blow it off because often there's a grain of truth in something that we can improve about ourselves. So it's easy to understand why lost people would criticize because there's no commonality there. But in the church, in God's family, we have a commonality. We should have a commonality of purpose. We should have a common goal, especially in a local church. And so, because of that, that's why Paul is saying here, keep your mind same in the Lord. There ought to be unity, uh, ought to exist amongst God's people. Love for other Christians, the Bible says, now this is important, love for other Christians is an indication that we're born again. Look what the Bible says in 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. I love the Lord. I hate everybody at church. <laughs> we can't say that because we can't because we know we've passed from death to life. We love the brethren, and uh, and then he says in First John three eighteen, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So Jesus goes a step further there. Don't only say you love him; show you love him. Bible says in John thirteen thirty five, by this shall men know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Now, the way I was raised, I was raised in that 80s and 90s uh, hero worship preacher era, you know, where you had big, big names and had me all just, I mean, I, I used to stand in long lines to get preachers to sign my Bible and, and uh, not, nothing wrong with that in, in and of itself, but, but uh, the way that I was always thought is that people would know I'm a Christian because of my short haircut and because of the way I dress and because... You know, if you're a girl because of your ankle length dress and, and uh, you know, the, the no makeup you wear, whatever the case might be. Well, that's not what the Bible says, though. It says that they'll know by the love we have for one another. And that's, uh, it's easier to wear a long dress than it is to love someone, isn't it? And so that's what Jesus puts the, this on us, and that's important. We need to be careful of an undermining spirit. Love one another, support one another, pray for one another. Uh, the church should be a place where we lift each other up, right? 
I mean, shouldn't this be a place where we come and encourage one another? I don't know about you, but I'm encouraged when I come. I, that's one reason I love Wednesday nights. It's that, you know, the tank starts to get a little empty and you get your fill up. And uh, it's good because you get together, you get encouraged with God's people. But you don't need brains, talent, humility, or character to have a critical spirit. Anybody can do that. We need to be Christ-like in our character. We must be in tune with Christ if we want to be in harmony with one another. Psalm 16, uh, Proverbs 16, 7, When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. I read this, uh, thought this was such a neat thought. Uh, you know how powerful a river can be. I mean, rivers can sweep out houses if they rise. And a river becomes powerful only because many drops of water have learned the power of cooperation. Think about that. One drop of water is nothing. But you put a billion of them together and uh, with some cooperation. Now, what kind of impact could we have if we learned the power of cooperation and working together? That's what Paul is encouraging here. And then beware of an upset spirit. Now, can you imagine how awesome it would be to know the Apostle Paul? I mean, to have been led to Christ by him, to have him come to your church and... Uh, maybe eat a meal in your home, get personal counsel from him. I mean, one day, hopefully in heaven, we'll be able to have sit down and have chats with Paul. be a neat thing. How excited they would be when the letter was delivered to them. But can you imagine how odious and syntyche, how they would have felt? Their names were read, how embarrassed they must have been. Well, they would not have been the only ones that were grieved. The Spirit of God is grieved when there's an upset spirit uh, that prevails in the body of Christ. Ephesians 4.30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So often, when we're, uh, when we're in a disagreement, we're so quick to react in anger. That's a natural response. Anger, someone said, is just one letter shy of danger. We need to be very careful when it comes to having anger. The problem, uh, the, James is clear in uh, James 4.1, from whence cometh wars and fightings among you, come they not hence even of your own lust that war in your members. The problem comes from within, not without, for all of us. The, 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 if, if I have an issue, the, the problem's in me. It's not, it's not so much from without, it is from within. And uh, the problem, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart, somebody said. And so we need to be very careful uh, as we uh, deal with other people. So now, let's look at the thoughts about his partners here. He wanted them to be helpful. Look what it says here in the next verse. I beseech, I entreat thee, verse 3, also true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Now, Paul knew enough to know that even though he's an apostle, even though he's the father, basically spiritual father of this church, his appeal is not going to be sufficient to just wipe out the problem. These women are going to need additional help to resolve uh, their differences here. Now, if the, if the disagreement they had, we don't know how bad it was. It was bad enough that the news got all the way to Paul and they wrote a letter about it. Uh, we, if, if, would there be some scars that would be there? Uh, plus the humiliation they must have felt about their names being read publicly. And uh, so now, by the way, isn't it a sad thing that their rift, whatever it was, is now for the rest of time, 
in the eternal word of God for everybody to read. Paul knew they could respond in all manner of ways. Anger could drive them away from church. Shame could keep them, uh, cause them to hide from it all. Disgrace could keep them from serving anymore in the Lord's work. In any case, he commissioned here what he called his true yoke fellow, probably Epaphroditus, to help soften the blow. And he, 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 puts, he, he mentions here that at one time they were involved in the work. They were enthusiastic in the Lord's work. And by the way, no one ever is a throwaway. No one. And Paul's making that clear here. Uh, that Paul's determined to get them back on track. Listen, it is a big, big mistake for any church to ever utter the words or have the thought, we'll, we'd be better off without fill in the blank. No one's a throwaway. No one's a, now, that's up, if God determines that, that somebody should be removed, let him determine that, but that's not how we approach it. And Paul wasn't approaching it that way. Uh, he said here, you know, he's wanting to get them back to where they need to be. Uh, and, and as typical of Paul, he didn't dwell on the problem, which is good because that's, there, there's no, gain in that anyway. Uh, he dealt with it, then tried to lift their thoughts immediately to higher ground. Look what he says here. He, he talked about these women which labored with me, Clement also, Clement also, and my other fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. This lifts them from worldly to heavenly. This is a reminder of who they are and whose they are. We need a reminder of that sometimes, don't we? I remember the speech my dad would give me when we would go somewhere for the first time or we visit somebody for the first time and he wanted to trick them into thinking we were a loving family. You know how that was growing up. And uh, so now you, he would give us a whole list of instructions. Don't forget, you're a Yoder. You're representing the Yoder name. And that's, we need to act a certain way. We don't, we don't throw fits. We don't yell and scream. We don't uh, break stuff. You know, all that stuff, he wanted us to behave a certain way. And it's good for us to be reminded once in a while who we are and whose we are. We're Christians. We're, we're, we're little Christs. So we ought to act like it. And that's what Paul's saying here. Hey, your names are in the book of life. Realization of God's love for us. Think about the fact that God knows each one of us and has written our names down. Doesn't that remove us from all things petty? I <laughs> think. Your names are written down in heaven. Does the color of the carpet really matter that much? Odious? I don't know if that was the problem or not, but whatever it was, our names are written down in heaven. So we he lift up a little bit in Philippians 4, 3. Uh, Paul is essentially saying here, look up, don't miss the glory. Stop fighting and reach for the crown. He says whose names are in the book of life. He wanted them to be happy. He says next, rejoice in the Lord Always and again, <coughs> I say rejoice. Paul's answer to all life's problems is rejoice in the Lord. Or all of his problems is in the Lord. Here he's telling them to rejoice in the Lord. Now, in the atmosphere of rejoicing in the Lord, conflict does that number right there. If we start to put the focus on the Lord. Listen, when I have a problem uh, with somebody or I have a bad attitude and I have a critical attitude towards whoever it might be, my thoughts and my focus is not on the Lord. It's on me. That's why I have a critical attitude. If my focus is on the Lord, then I'm not going to be petty. 
and uh, I'm not going to be selfish because, and by the way, I, I am often that way because my focus isn't on the Lord. So it's a good reminder for me to get back to where I need to be there. It, ugly thoughts are replaced by the thoughts of the Lord and his love, his goodness, his wisdom, and his care. Then we realize the Lord is too wise to make any mistakes. He's too uh, loving to be unkind. He's too caring to be aloof. How can we think of the Lord and not rejoice? Rejoice in the Lord, he says. Boy, if we just put our focus on the right things. I like the way the, the Bible says to several places, especially through Psalms, magnify the Lord. You know what magnifying glass does? doesn't change anything. If I hold a magnifying glass to my paper, it doesn't change the paper, but it changed my perspective of the paper. We magnify the Lord, it'll fix our perspective. So he wanted them to be happy. Life can be grim at times. People can be unpleasant. Sometimes we're called to bear a burden that we feel is going to crush us. Paul's answer is always the same. Think on the Lord. Put your focus on the Lord. We're not to rejoice in what overwhelms us. That would be foolish. Don't, don't rejoice in what's overwhelming you. Uh, the, the Bible says give thanks in everything. In everything give thanks, not necessarily for everything. But think of the Lord. Just as foolish uh, as to rejoice in what overwhelms us, it really is just as foolish to rejoice in good circumstances. We can be thankful for good circumstances. You better not let that be the source of your joy because good circumstances can quickly become rotten ones. Our rejoicing ought to be in the Lord who is unchanging, who is constant. We are to rejoice in him. He can uh, make evil a means of grace. Joseph said to his brothers, as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. Genesis 50, 20. After all that, he's able to say God meant it for good. And here Paul saying he's able to subdue, uh, all, in, in verse 21 in Philippians 3, he says he's able to even to subdue all things unto himself. The Lord has the power. We may be broken by God because of our past, but a wise and loving God will work it out to the good. And something we can't necessarily figure out. We just have to trust him in it. And then finally, he wanted them to be holy. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. The word translated moderation there can also be translated forbearance or yieldedness. The word speaks of selflessness. Remember the conflict here, the context, I should say, is is the conflict between Odious and Syntyche. And so he's telling them to be have moderation, to uh, have forbearance, have a yieldedness. Who, who would? <laughs> then he brings the Lord is at hand. It's just a reminder. Who would want to be caught away in the rapture in the middle of a fight or an argument? I mean, can you imagine how embarrassing that would be in the middle of a, a bitter argument and the rapture happens? And so he reminds us, rejoicing in the Lord is Paul's recipe for a happy life. Expecting the coming of the Lord is his recipe for a holy life. Think about how that makes the difference if we expect the Lord to come at any time. Who would want to be raptured away while doing something wrong? The Lord is at hand. So that's his kind of his watchword, his guardian. That's what he uses to keep himself in line. It's like when we were kids, we, we would, uh, uh, when mom and dad were out, of, were gone for the night, they'd be out or something. Um, 
my brothers and sisters will sometimes do things they shouldn't do. I, I was usually good, but uh, I wanted to be careful there. But um, they would sometimes do things. But we had a long lane, a quarter of a mile, I guess we call it a lane. I don't think you really call it a driveway. It was a long lane out to the road. And, uh, and then and it was really, it was gravel, rough, so it, they would come slow, and you'd see that headlight slowly come through. And it would give us about, I don't know, four minutes to undo whatever has been done in the house. But uh, actions change if they're supposed to be home at 9 o'clock. About 8.30, 8.45, actions change a little bit. The thoughts are different than it was at 4 p.m. Five, we had all kind of time. But now things, the, the environment, the atmosphere changes a little bit. If we expect the return of Christ at any time, it's going to change us. It's going to keep us holy. Again, rejoicing in the Lord, happy life. Expecting his return, holy life. That'll help us if we have that. So Paul adds that. The Lord is at hand. How would our lives and our actions change if we knew God could come back in the next five minutes? Because, friend, he could. So let's live like it. Amen?